0: Will you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? A God who is good, a God who blesses us immensely. We thank you for your grace. And God, we pray that you would speak to us this day. Your spirit would would reveal to us uh, how we are called to live. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Today, we are continuing our sermon series uh, where... We are reading about the creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed uh, was something that was part of the liturgy for baptism. It dealt with our religious identity, if you will. What made Christianity different from any other religion was this creed that we do read together at baptisms. And this morning, we as a church community um, read it together. I asked the question, do you believe in God the Father? And you all responded to that. Do you believe in Jesus? And you responded to that. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And we believe that we believe in a triune God. Uh, and that is what makes Christianity unique. Uh, Christian faith different from anything else. And this morning, even as we ask those historic questions um, to the waters of baptism, Jackson today was baptized through bap- the waters of baptism. Jackson was claimed... That he belongs to God. That he is adopted into God's family. He was given a new identity today. And as Jackson grows up in this church, and one day we're going to ask those questions. Remember your baptism and be grateful. Jackson won't, but we all do. Uh, And he was going to claim his faith this day. So, today is a precious day in the life of our church. So, what is the creed about? What is it that we believe in? Last week, I ended our sermon, my sermon, by talking about our identity. And the language that I used uh, as I ended last week's sermon was that Christians believe in original sin. I talked about this concept of original sin. And this morning, I want to start where we left off. And talk about what does it mean for us to believe in Jesus and how does original sin come into play. Original sin, because we are sinful people, we are in need of a savior. The word sin is not used much in our churches anymore. uh, But I want to claim boldly that everyone who calls Mount Hope their home, and this might be new to you, and everyone who's sitting in this room, you all are sinners. Sinners. Y'all can laugh about that. You all are sinners. Everybody is sinful. I, as your pastor, yes, I'm called to be a pastor, but I am sinful as well. That is where we start our process of wanting the Savior. In my own life, nine out of ten decisions that I want to make is I want to choose sin first. Who am I kidding? Ten out of ten. I want to do that which is not right. That is who I am. And I'm in need of a savior. If you are thinking um, that, you know, that you can do this, uh, that being a Christian is about living a good life or wanting to do my part. I want to help people. All that is good. But that is not what Christianity is about. Christian faith starts by acknowledging that each one of us is a sinner. Christianity, or Christians, is a religion for those who are humble. If we can think we can fix our life by sheer willpower, then you don't need Christ. We don't need Christ. If we can think that we can make everything about our life different just by thinking good thoughts, that is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about in need of a savior for us asking forgiveness for our sins and saying, God, in your mercy, forgive me. In your mercy, heal me. In some ways, Christianity, I feel like, is about uh, the um, AA. The first step in AA is this is what we read in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, this This is the statement that they make every time they gather together. The first step we admit that we are power we admit we are powerless over alcohol that our lives have become unmanageable i think we as a church every time we gather together we need to say those words we admit that we are powerless over sin and that our lives have become unmanageable and because of that we are in need of christ christ is the one who forgives us of our sins who makes us whole again, who restores that relationship. That is the basis of Christian faith. So so we are all sinful. Original sin lives in us. We are all sinful. And the second one um, is when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus as being a historical figure. Every time we read um, the um, And read the Creed or read the New Testament, there are pieces where uh, history, historical figures are spoken of. One of the things that we read today was that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. And if you look at Roman history, Pontius Pilate existed. It's not a mythical figure. He was there. He was alive. You read Roman history, you'll find out. And some of you might be familiar or memorize the scripture in Sunday school, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a degree went out when? Who is the governor? Some guy with the name Q. You would have said something. curators was the governor of a certain region and a degree went out, right? History is part. Jesus is a historical figure. And that is something that we cling to, that Jesus is not a mythical figure, but he is a historical figure. He was in history. Even uh, Josephus was um, a Jewish historian, uh, and he wrote, about, um, he wrote about the history during Jesus' time. And this guy talks about Jesus, how Jesus uh, lived, and he had a followers, and how he was crucified and was killed. And Josephus puts a parenthetical note. He's not a Christian. He said, those who followed him called him the Messiah, that he died and that he rose again from the dead. So Jesus is a historical figure. Even to this day, there are a lot of conversations about uh, Jesus uh, as to who he was and what he does. There's a group called the Jesus Seminar Group. It's uh, led by, uh, It was led by a man named Dominic Cross. And uh, him and his buddies were absolutely brilliant um, at... Um, uh, brilliant uh, theologians, uh, they wanted to decode the New Testament. And they came up with this idea, they were going to figure out what Jesus actually said in the New Testament. So Dominic Cross and his, and his buddies uh, came up with like a tracking system uh, where if anything Jesus said was colored in red, uh, and then it was colored in pink, and then it was colored in gray and then black, and there were a couple other colors as well. So anything that Jesus said uh, was in complete red. And they tried to figure out, okay, what did Jesus actually say in the New Testament? And they went through it, and maybe there was about three percent of whatever was in the Gospels, uh, they said, okay, Jesus actually said these words. And then there was a whole lot uh, in black. I don't agree with Dominic Crossan, uh, because how do you know what Jesus said 2,000 years later, right? These were the disciples who were near Jesus uh, and wrote down the words of Jesus. But the thing that I want to kind of glean from Dominic Crossan is, even in his unbelief of who Jesus is, he still claims him to be a historical figure. And then how time is talked about, right, is because of Jesus, if you think about it. We say B.C., before Christ, or A.D., after Christ, right? That is the year of the Lord, right? Year of the Lord. Jesus is a historical figure, and now the academia um, has kind of changed the term to call it B.C.E. uh, and C, before common era and after uh, common era. Or common era before common era or common era so anyway what the point that I'm trying to make is Jesus is a historical figure no matter from which perspective you look at Jesus actually lived in this earth he walked amongst the the people and he was died and was crucified and he rose again this morning, we read the scripture uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind here. When you read the whole uh, what the Gospel of John is tying Jesus to the story of creation that we read last week. In the beginning was the word that Jesus was present when creation was being made. In the beginning was God and God made this creation. So uh, when you read the Old Testament and when you begin to read the Old Testament and kind of follow through in the Old Testament and you begin to see this God in the Old Testament, the God in the Old Testament is a God who provides When you read the stories, you see how God over and over again in the Old Testament, God was the one who provided for God's people over and over again. When you read the story of the Old Testament and you look at the character of God and you begin to see that God is a God who heals. That the God that the people of Israel worship, he was a God who healed, who restored things, who made things well. And then when you read the stories of the Old Testament, God, you begin to see that we ha- worship a God who cares over and over again. God's care is shown. But when you begin to read the stories in the New Testament, and when you begin to read the stories of Jesus, you begin to see that the God that we worship in Jesus is a God who provides He's a God who heals. There are so many stories where Jesus would walk into a crowd and heal somebody. He would restore people to wholeness. And we see over and over again that Jesus is a God who cares. There is continuity between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament because both are one. Jesus was in the beginning. And Jesus will be in the end victorious when we are in heaven worshiping with Him. And, what's, um, and another way we can look at this continuity is what we read in John chapter one. When John chapter one, we see that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the word "dwelt" is uh, in Greek uh, comes to us; uh, it means God pitched a tent among His people. Is how we read. Those words, God pitched a tent in Jesus amongst his people. And when we read the story in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel left Egypt and were going into the promised land, into the land flowing with milk and honey, and they would find themselves in this middle space, this minimal space, we see that they pitched a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And it is there. God's presence was there in that tent. So in Jesus, God's tent is pitched amongst humanity so that we can experience God's presence. And as Jesus um we read through Jesus' ministry, one of and he uh Jesus was somebody who cared for the rich, for the poor, for the marginalized, for those who were the outcast, and Jesus cared for the powerful. Jesus challenged authority over and over again. Jesus had women as part of his disciples. The purpose of Jesus' life comes to us from John chapter 20. This is the the gospel of John that was read to us. Towards the end of this book, John capsules uh, and uh, tells us the essence of what Jesus' life was all about. This is what we read. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in the book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you will have eternal life. That by believing, you will have eternal life. Friends, the question to us this morning is, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus, this historical figure who lived amongst us who died on the cross and was rose again on the third day do you believe in jesus and i hope it is a resounding yes in your hearts so what does that mean for us so what does that mean for each one of us if we say yes we believe in jesus paul tells us the so what This is what we read in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Verse 5. I love this verse. Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Here is a so what, friends. If you say Jesus is my Lord, we are called to live humble lives. Have this mind in you who Jesus, even though he was God, he humbled himself. And Paul is calling each one of us to humble ourselves, to empty of ourselves of the things that we want, that we claim to be ours. We are called to humble ourselves and to care for the other. That is what it means to follow Jesus. And I hope you would confess that Jesus is Lord And that I hope and pray that this spirit will live in you, where you humble yourself and to do things for others. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for he emptied himself and became humble to the point of death. God, we ask that that this spirit that lived in Jesus would live in us that we would humble ourselves and to care for those around us. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.